God's been speaking to me a lot about preparation, getting ready for things. I prayed a lot of big prayers that I wasn't ready for, right? You ever pray for something and God gives it to you and you're like, oh, shoot, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready. It happens a lot. So many times we get something that was our number one prayer in life and when we start complaining about it. Come on, you've been praying for your husband, for your wife for years, right? And now you're in your seventh, eighth, ninth year of marriage and you're like, okay, now, wait a minute now. Is this what I prayed for? Right? And so many times we cannot celebrate or honor that the things that we pray for sometimes aren't easy to deal with. And the more that we prepare, the more that God can give. God said this in Joshua chapter 3, I believe, to, to his people. He said, consecrate yourself, prepare yourself, basically, for tomorrow the Lord is going to do wonders. He was basically saying that prepare yourself today for what God wants to do tomorrow. And so this is a season of preparation for all of us. I really believe that really strongly. And so we're going to take a look at John chapter 19 verses 31 through 42, and then we're going to go right back into some worship, and I believe worship prepares us like nothing else does. John 19, verse 31 through 42 says this, now it was the day of preparation. Um, Somebody was uh, going over this verse with me yesterday. I can't remember who it was, so I'll just take credit for their revelation. (laughs) They texted me this verse yesterday. I wish I could remember so I could give them credit, Uh, but... Nope, not coming to me. Anyway, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. So basically, during this time, it was a custom for um, uh, any body that was on, the, on crosses. This was a regular form of torture and death, and they would leave the bodies on the cross for weeks until they decomposed as a sign of humiliation. But the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies on the cross because the next day was going to be the Passover. And so this was not a thing where they were trying to honor the people who died or their families. They didn't want a dead body to mess up their party. Can you imagine the cold-heartedness that religion can do? It says, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the cross, crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. What was happening is that um, typically um, when they broke the legs, the, the, they didn't have the strength in their legs, obviously, to hold themselves off the cross. And because they were hanging on the cross, they would suffocate when their legs were broken is because their legs is what was propping them up. And the way that the crosses were designed, if they didn't have any strength in their legs and their legs were broken, then they would not be able to breathe. So literally, not only is, this is not a humane thing. This is like, let's get this over with because it would take days for them to die on that cross. And so the Jewish leaders were like, let's break their legs, get this over with because we don't want to interrupt our Sabbath, our religious activity that we got going. And so then it said, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. This is important because just a few verses before the one I'm about to read, before the one I'm reading now, the Bible says Jesus gave up his spirit. Jesus actually said in the Bible, no man takes my life, I lay it down. 
the biggest act of the authority, you know the enemy wants to take things from you? And one of the disciplines that I've had to come up with over the years is anything the enemy wants from me, I lay it down. You want my finances, I'll lay it down. He's not interested in taking what you lay down. He's only interested in taking what you clutch on to. You want my money, you can have it. It's one of the biggest acts of authority you can do if someone's trying to rob you. You don't have to rob me. Here you go. I don't get robbed. I give away. I don't need it. And so Jesus laid his life down. Jesus was not murdered. You know, Jesus told Peter when Peter slashed the ear of the soldier coming to arrest him, he told Peter, don't you know that I can call upon 10,000 angels and at my disposal and they'll be here at once? Don't you know I can get myself out of this? That's what he said. That's what he said. Jesus gave his life for you. He didn't, he, he wasn't murdered. He gave up his life for you. He came down out of heaven and died a sinner's death so we could gather in God's house and meet with the presence of God. Do you know how powerful that is? Gave it up. So they came to Jesus and found he was already dead, so they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So Jesus is in excruciating pain and is waiting for Old Testament prophecies to be fulfilled before he gives up his life. Then it says, later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. So if you look at John chapter 3, this is important to note, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night saying he believed he was sent by God, but he came to him at night because he didn't want to offend the Jewish leaders. So now you have two people who are followers of Jesus, but in secret, who God has ordained to take care of Jesus in his burial. Keeping their faith a secret, can you imagine? It says, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. This was an incredible gift. Taking Jesus' body, the two of, it, two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. The, the other translations or other gospels, the other three, actually give an account that this was Joseph of Arimathea's personal tomb that he had bought for himself and that he laid Jesus in his personal tomb. Can, can you get the picture of what's happening here? Jesus was born and the Bible says there was no room at the end, so he had to borrow a barn and he's borrowing a tomb and, and he, he doesn't have a place to go when he's born. And he doesn't have a place to go when he dies. I believe God is trying to send us a, messages, a message about the places we crave. About the places we crave to be in. 
My faith is always about a place, if I'm being honest, a place I'm trying to get to in my walk, a place I'm trying to get to in my career, a place I'm trying to get to in my health. This ministry, this, this life of Jesus is not about a place. It's about a person. No place when he was born, no place when he was died, still the same person. Son of God sent to die for our sins. He actually said once, the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Foxes have a place to go and I don't. I believe God wants the church to stop looking for the place and start looking for the person, the person of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, this will change your life. It'll change your life. It says it was the Jewish day of preparation. And we got this beautiful church building, um, I believe it was in 2013. Yeah, 2013, and I, I wasn't here at the time, but um, as we were in the process of buying the building, um, they came and we were inspecting the building. We were looking at all, this is a huge building, by the way. I know most of you spend a lot of your time here or in the kids' ministry, but this is a huge building. And in the process of looking through every single place, I mean, I believe, if I'm telling the story correctly, that like on the third time or the fourth time, we'd find another place we hadn't yet discovered, like, oh, this room is here. And one particular time where, I, I don't, I'm not sure who was here, but I heard the story that they opened a room and someone was living in it. This church is so big, someone was hiding in the church. And I guess the people who had owned the church didn't even know that person was in there. They just opened the door and he's in there chilling, like, what up? You know, just like, nobody knew how long he had been there. And it's interesting because the, the, I believe that I was thinking about that story this morning, and I was thinking about how this church is a wonderful place to hide. It's a wonderful place to hide. You can hide up here. You can hide in a platform. You can hide on a serve team. You can be hiding and not look like you're hiding. And no one knows that you're hiding, but you're hiding. What's interesting about this passage of Scripture is God used two people who were hiding and the death of Jesus made them come out of hiding. I believe if we actually take some time to really take in that Jesus died for you and I, every last one of us would come out of hiding. Can I be honest with you? Can I be honest with you? There is no way. If you, if the, I wish there was a documentary of my life before Jesus met me and before I walked into Oasis. Y'all wouldn't want to hear me preach. If you knew where I spent my 30th birthday party, you'd be like, somebody sit this guy down. I believe I am up here because someone else wouldn't come out of hiding. And I don't want ever for God to use me so mightily that the messages are so strong and I'm so anointed that you stay in hiding. He got it. Pastor Philip has it. Holly's good. They don't need me. This is the body of Christ. The body. You are a member of the body of Christ. God has a calling for you. And if you would just understand that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died for you, you would come out of hiding. This made Joseph and Nicodemus come out of hiding. I don't care who sees. This person was crucified for my sins. Can you imagine them knowing the story of the woman with the issue of blood, reaching out and touching Jesus? Their touch was much different. 
They were too scared to touch him in public. They were too scared to touch him in front of their friends. They were too scared to talk about Jesus and reach out and touch him with their coworkers. So now their touch was when he was dead. When he was dead. And they had to wrap their Savior in a linen cloth and carry their Savior. Can you imagine Nicodemus and Joseph carrying Jesus to the tomb, saying this is the person we were embarrassed to say we knew? Romans 1.16 says, we're not ashamed of this good news about Jesus because it's the power of God. You know the devil wants to shame you that you know God. And here's how he tries to do it. He tries to shame you with your habits. Because your habits ain't holy. Turn to your neighbor and say, my habits ain't holy. Come on, anybody ever been smoking a little something, drinking someone, something? Someone asks you where you go to church, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. It's this place. You don't even want to tell them because they've seen your habits. You're cussing all by the coffee pot, and then now you have your opportunity to tell them you know God, and you're ashamed. And you don't want to tell them you know Jesus because you think Jesus is about living perfectly. No, Jesus is that I, this man died for me. God came down and died for my sin and made me righteous by faith. This is not a behavior modification plan. You can evangelize to someone while lighting their cigarette. You can. You can. Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners. He ate with them. Can you imagine? This is what what happened. There is something about Jesus' burial that prepares us for our own burial. We need to bury some things. Somebody needs to put something in a tomb today. A way of life, a thought process. Emotions, hurts, and anger. Joseph and Nicodemus did a a huge thing because the death of Jesus destroyed their hiding place. Here is my prayer that you would encounter the gravity of Jesus dying for your sins today and that it would destroy whatever you are hiding. It would destroy your, your hiding place. You know, in Adam, in the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, the Bible says that they hid from God. And God said, where are you? Called them out of their hiding place. Called them out of their hiding place. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that, that, that your hiding place is bad. Maybe you're hiding in your job. Maybe you're hiding on your serve team. Maybe you're hiding on a worship team. But God wants to call you out of hiding put you on display. You know, the Bible says that God wants to put you on display. Jesus led captives on a triumphant perception. Uh, uh, what is it called? Procession. A parade. God wants to parade you around. Look at my son. 
Look at my daughter. They're not where they need to be, but they're not where they used to be. Do you know that God wants to take his people on a parade? He wants to parade you around your job and your place right now, right where you are, because you have been set free by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Don't wait till you're perfect to join the parade. The party isn't for perfect people. Jesus, the Bible says heaven rejoices when a lost one is found, not when they're changed, when they're found. Y'all seen our testimony videos where somebody got off drugs, right? They're like, man, God set me free from drugs. I'm changed. And we go, woo! The testimony videos in heaven, they're found. They're still sniffing. And heaven is celebrating because we found them. They're still sniffing, but we found them. They're still drinking, but we found them. They're still cussing, but we found them. They're not perfect, but we found them. Heaven rejoices when the lost one is found. We found them. I'm telling you, this is the gospel. Through the death of Jesus, the lost people can be found. And Joseph and Nicodemus were face to face with this. Do you know the most popular verse in the Bible? arguably without any argument at all, is John 3.16. John 3.16. Who can recite it? I'll give you $1,000 in the spiritual realm. That means, that means you need faith to pull it down. $1,000 in the spiritual realm. Who wants $1,000 in the spiritual realm? I don't know if you got the faith to pull it down, but I'm going to give it to you. Come on, who can recite it? Go ahead. Yeah. Y'all seeing it different versions. Somebody said, for God so loved, what's his name? They, uh, he said, nah, man. I don't know what version you're reading. Don't we take that as a verse to the whole world because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, and it is a verse to the whole world. But do you know when Jesus said that, he was talking to one man, and he was talking to Nicodemus. Read John chapter 3. Jesus was talking to to Nicodemus when he said that verse. I wonder if Nicodemus recited that verse as he was carrying Jesus to his tomb. I am the man that Jesus said that to. For God so loved the world. I wonder if that moment did he he translate it for, for God so loved Nicodemus. And he sent his son to die for the person who was ashamed to say he knew him. I believe that you got to personalize that verse in this season. You got to personalize this, this, this burial because some things need to be taken to, to the tomb. You know, God's been speaking to me about preparation and um. I think that uh, last week I shared in a, in, a, in a ministry time that John the Baptist was born, and he was supposed to prepare the way um, for Jesus. And the scripture literally says that John the Baptist prepared the way in the wilderness. Now, I don't know if you're in a wilderness season, but the wilderness seems to be the perfect place for preparation. And so John the Baptist was to prepare the way for Jesus. But watch this thing that John the Baptist said as he was given the responsibility to prepare the way. This is also in John chapter 3, 
verses 25 through, through 30, where we have Jesus telling John 3.16 to Nicodemus, but in verse 25, we have a conversation that John the Baptist is having with some disciples um, who are upset because Jesus' ministry is taken off. They're complaining because Jesus is baptizing more people than John the Baptist was. And let's see what John the Baptist has to say about preparation. He says, therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Can you imagine disciples complaining that Jesus is doing more work than them? They didn't feel validated. Letting Jesus do what Jesus is supposed to do, oh, man, that messes with somebody's validation. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a good job. I'm, I'm relying on Jesus to provide. Man, this is, this is powerful. They're saying he's baptizing more people than you. And look what John said. A man can receive nothing unless it's been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. How many people are believing for increase? Come on, I'll, if you don't raise your hand, I'll take yours. How many people believe for increase? In your finances, increase in your walk with the Lord, increase in every area of your life. John the Baptist said that your, his decrease and Jesus' increase was tied together. My decrease and increase is together. So what in every area I'm expecting for increase, I need to decrease. If you're expecting for an increase in finances, you need a decrease in fear. If you're expecting for an increase in your character, you need a decrease in shame and guilt. Whatever you're believing for increase, there needs to be a decrease that matches the increase. Do you get what I'm saying? And this decreased so much, John the Baptist actually died and was executed. The Bible says that we die with Jesus. This is why we're talking about burial. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but this is actually a sermon about increase. This is a sermon about blessing. There's something in me that needs to decrease. I want you to catch what, what, what Paul said, or excuse me, what Paul said through Romans 6 and, and verse 4. He said, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you see that? decrease and increase working together. Death and life coming together. Wow. Do you understand that? that my, one of my favorite rappers of all time was Biggie. And, and he, his first album was called Ready to Die. His second album was Life After Death. As believers, we need to be making those two albums at the exact same time. <laughs> every day is a funeral and every day is a birthday party. That's a life following Jesus. Can I ask you a question? We don't have Joseph and Nicodemus here, but what are you ready to carry to your tomb? What are you ready to carry to the tomb today? What are you ready to carry to the tomb? Fear, 
shame, guilt, unforgiveness, hopelessness. Something needs to die so that something can live. And I don't know if Joseph and Nicodemus were discouraged. Maybe they were, but the reality is that Jesus died so that we could live. The church, this church, has got to stop being so afraid of death. Philippians 3 verses 10 through 13, Paul says something crazy. He said this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said the best way to know Jesus is to participate in the death and the burial. I know God because of what has had to die in my life. Now I'm like you, I wanna know God through the blessings too. But honestly, the blessings that I get, the material blessings that happen in my life, I don't know if they've ever really brought me closer to God. It's that funeral. It's that thing I was struggling with for 20 years that God took away that died that brought me closer to him. Somebody needs to allow something to die. Somebody needs to come out of hiding and walk something to the tomb today. Don't go into the new year and you haven't walked that thing to the tomb. Nicodemus and Joseph put 75 pounds of spices and myrrh and aloe because that was supposed to keep Jesus from decomposing. But God had promised that Jesus would not rot. It says in the Psalms, I will not allow the Holy One to rot in the grave. So I don't know what you're trying to keep from decomposing. Just go ahead and walk it to the tomb. You don't need that. Just walk it to the tomb. The fear, the insecurity, just walk it over there right now in the spirit. Paul actually gives a definition of, uh, of death in 2 Corinthians 5, 8. He says, we are a good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Death means to be absent from your body. Your, your spirit is absent from your body. All death is, is the absence of something. All you have to do to feel like something's dying is to feel like something's missing. To be absent of finances might be to be present with the Lord. Isn't it interesting how the death of something brings you into the presence of God? The death of something brings you out of hiding. I want to ask you something. I don't know what area of your life feels like it's dying, but if you're honest right now, this is the most passionate you've ever been about Jesus. This is the most prayerful you've ever been 
This is a good season because this absent thing in your life has brought you closer to God. It's bringing you out of hiding. This is going to be a church where everyone comes out of hiding. We all have something we can give. We all have something we can do. God didn't just die for me and the pastors and the team. God died for you. Jesus came down. stand to your feet. If you got something in your life that you feel like you got to carry that thing to the tomb today, you're going to have to come out of hiding to do it. It's like Joseph and Nicodemus, you're going to have to come out of hiding to do it. I just want you to lift your hands and I want to I pray for you. right now. I'm, I'm done with this thing. We gotta let this thing die. This fear, this guilt, this shame, this drug habit. I gotta come out of hiding. There's somebody here right now Right now, great calling of God on your life and your hiding. I bought something one time that was really cheap and it broke and somebody said, you, you get what you pay for. Kingdom of God, you get what He paid for. You get righteousness. You get hope. You get freedom because Jesus paid for all of that. Somebody in here just is hiding because they feel like they're not worthy, but you get what He paid for. You get what He paid for. Somebody needs to come out of hiding right now. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this house, what you're doing in me, what you're doing in us as a church family. I believe right now in this moment, there's a funeral and a birthday party taking place at the exact same time. Exact same time. 